and hopefully we'll plant our flag, so to speak, and make Massachusetts a place where people will come to do their space research. From the Museum of Science in Boston, this is Pulsar, a podcast where we ask around for answers to the most frequent questions we get from our visitors. I'm your host, Eric, and when I talk to our visitors about space exploration and research, I sometimes get asked if any of that science and engineering is done here in Massachusetts. And the answer to that question is yes, there are many institutions and companies in the Bay State that are participating in a wide variety of exciting spaceflight and astronomy projects. Just this year, the University of Massachusetts Lowell was awarded a grant to develop the Massachusetts Alliance for Space Technology and Sciences, or MASTS, an initiative that will launch a research center where scientists, industry leaders, and startups can build and test miniature satellites and components essential to spaceflight. I was able to sit down with Dr. Supriya Chakrabarti, the director of the Lowell Center for Space Science and Technology, or LOCUST, at UMass Lowell, to ask about the science and engineering that MASTS will bring to Massachusetts, as well as the opportunities for students seeking a career in STEM and space science. Supriya, thank you for joining me on Pulsar. It's great to be here. So why don't we start with the Lowell Center for Space Science and Technology at UMass Lowell. You're the director. What kind of people make up the center? We are affiliated to two different colleges, colleges of sciences, where you have physics, chemistry, math, computer science, etc., and College of Engineering. Uh, so we have faculty members from both those colleges. We come together to address questions related to space. Some of us try to design and build things, and sometimes we fly things because some of the experiments that we do cannot be uh, done from, from the ground. And then there are some of our colleagues who do a lot of theoretical work or go to big telescopes uh, where Others have built the experiments and they collect data and try to interpret. It's a very diverse group of people. So those are the faculty, but our real brain power comes from all the students who are part of it. So we have uh, both undergraduate students as well as graduate students and some research staff who help us to do all of these things properly. Now, some researchers that we hear from on the podcast have very narrow focus on one area of science. You seem like a great fit for a multidisciplinary department because you have very wide-ranging interests. Can you talk about some of the projects you have been involved with lately? I get excited about too many things, you know. So, so I'll give you two examples. One is uh, working with students. A couple of years ago, there was an opportunity that NASA announced where undergraduate students could build and fly something in space. And it could be on a balloon, it could be on a rocket, or it could build something that goes on a satellite. So our students were involved in actually writing the proposal to NASA, and then they did everything. They designed it, they built it, they even communicated to the next generation of students. And we flew it in October of 2021 the students built a ground station that will communicate with the satellite. So it's fascinating for me that you know, students could do all of this. So I found that uh, opened up my eyes uh, about the creativity that all of these students, they come from various backgrounds and they come together to solve a major problem. And so that's more of an education technology type work. The other one is uh, solidly planted in technology, but to answer a very fundamental human question. And that is, 
can we take a photo of a planet around a nearby star? And these planets are called exoplanet. It's a very, very difficult and very challenging problem. Imagine you're sitting in a car trying to take a picture of somebody standing by the road and your car is moving fast. So you have to, first of all, you know, hold your hand steady. And then what happens is you're trying to take a picture, not of a person, but imagine you're looking at a marble right next to a big bright light. When the star is far away, both are dimmer, and not only that, just like car headlights look very close to one another when they're far away, this planet and the star in sky look just on top of one another. So it seems, seems like it would get washed out. So what do you do? Yeah, how do you do this? The challenge is then, how do you turn down or dim the light of the star without doing anything to the planet? And we have a tool called Coronagraph that has been developed by many various people. And so we took one of those tools and our group has been trying to put all of these things that you need to do. We flew it on two different rockets that went up and came down. We got about seven minutes worth of data in each flight. And then we also flew it on balloons. Uh, these balloons are what you have heard about in the news lately. It's that size, about a football field size balloon. We hang from the balloon by a cable that's taller than the uh, Washington Monument. And the thing that we're flying, our experiment, is a uh, astronomical observatory. That's about 6,000 pounds all told. And wind you know, knocks it around, and how do you point something and keep your hand steady? So we're, we're grateful that we have been given the opportunity uh, to fly such an experiment. There are lots of great minds working on various technologies. We haven't taken a picture of a planet yet. We're getting very, very close. You have to dim the light of the star by billion to one. We have, in our last flight that happened last September, we have dimmed it by million to one. And so we're getting close. <laughs> very, very close. Hopefully in a couple of years, when we have our next flight, we'll get not a planet, but an asteroid belt around a planet, which are much easier than just a planet. It'd still be fascinating. It'll be wonderful, and we're excited about it. It's kind of a great mix, like you said, of science and technology, science and engineering. You can't do one without the other. If scientists didn't have these instruments, they'd just be you know, looking with their eyes and wondering. Engineers can build all these things, but if you work together, you can build these enormous apparatus that floats up in the sky to be able to get these pictures of something so distant. Uh, it's a great example of the merging of those two fields. Right, and, and it always is the case. Every major observatory NASA has flown has you know, great engineers, technologists, at the same time, great scientific thinkers. Uh, in here, what the interesting thing is, before you spend billions of dollars build a major observatory in space, what we are doing is testing individual technologies that you need. So these are and will enable, uh, and we're part of some of these discussions about how do you design such a mission. Well, that's really exciting. And what we want to talk about today are small satellites, and your center just got, just had a big announcement that there's going to be a new facility built. So can you talk a little bit about that grant that you just got? This was a grant from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts through a, an office called Massachusetts Technology Collaborative, or MassTech. And a couple of years ago, they put out a call 
to develop uh, some center where you could develop certain technologies that will be economically important for the Commonwealth. And so there were various different areas, uh, and we proposed under the aerospace and defense umbrella. And what we proposed was to develop a, a center that will have facilities to design space missions, and then after you build, before you fly anything, you have to prove that it'll survive the rigors of launch and being in space where there's vacuum, you know, a harsh radiation environment. So what we're doing is in one place, uh, we'll have all of those facilities. And as a part of this cluster, we have major corporations like MITRE, Lockheed, BAE. At the same time, we have small startups that are part of it. And it's more important for them because small companies, they have great ideas, but they don't have all the facilities which are expensive. So they will be able to come and use these facilities. Uh, so that's one aspect. And the other part is, Who's going to do these things? And I certainly am not. So there will be this younger generation who will come. So we have community colleges, we have universities, and some are even international partners who are all part of this uh, group. And we're we are very honored that we've been chosen. And uh, hopefully we'll have some products that will come out of it. There will be some companies that will be spawned at the same time. These people, the students who will work on these things will already be trained. You know, when the companies try to hire them, they will already be speaking their language. They'll be doing things that they're interested. So it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And this is something I've been thinking for some time. Why aren't there more universities uh, who are building their own satellites or small companies? And that's changed. The landscape is very different to the extent that we could help the economy of the Commonwealth after this post-COVID era, this is very gratifying. So what do you hope for the future, say 10, 15 years from now, further down the road, what do you think will be the, the result where you can point to and say, this came from this program? So uh, one of the things we talked about in our proposal, uh, we noticed that there are companies that launches these small satellites called CubeSats. And we found that in their launcher, there is an unused space. And we said, could we design a satellite format that could use that uh, unused space? And we discussed this with this company called Nanorax. They said they have been thinking about it. Uh, and so we came up with an idea, and uh, often satellites are called birds. So we said, you know, this could be a bird, and it turns out a space available is the same size as a chickadee, which is the Massachusetts state bird, black cat chickadee. So we'll call it chickadee. And we have been thinking about how to uh, design uh, this um, space. So most of the volume is available for people who wants to experiment. So you're a small company. You want to test a, a widget that you want to fly in space. But before you do that, you would like to know if it's space worthy, how it would work. So you will be able to use this to fly. Or if you are in uh, high school class or even middle school, if you want to do something, take something in space and see how things work. This could be an experiment that you'll do in space rather than next door to in a lab. So that's sort of my, my hope, is that it'll be available for various uses. 
and you know, I, I'm not very good thinker, I'm not creative, there'll be other people who will come up with many different ideas and many different applications. So that would be very gratifying if you know people could use it in as many different ways as, as they can think of. All right, well, Supriya, thank you so much for telling us all about this exciting research and development and program that's going on right here in Massachusetts. Yeah, it's great. To keep up with the latest trends in space technology, on your next trip to the Museum of Science, visit the Gordon Current Science and Technology stage for a science snapshot live presentation. And while you're home, subscribe to our Spacing Out newsletter for the latest astronomy news. Be sure to visit this episode's show page for a link to more information about the Massachusetts Alliance for Space Technology and Sciences. Until next time, keep asking questions.